what is this, number four? I think yes. so. Yes, this is the fourth. We skipped a month because things, scheduling and life. life. Yes. Uh, but this is culture with Cody and Corey. And Which one are you again? I'm Cody. That means I'm Corey? Yes. Okay. Uh, that is how that works. <laughs> uh, like physics, you can't have... Process of elimination. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing. We just talked for 45 minutes, so we're going to try and talk for another 45-ish. Dude, dude you're <laughs> an endurance athlete. You ride on bikes for 70 miles. Not quickly, though. I'm very so, slow. Uh, but since we're talking about... Uh, well, I guess credentials first. Sure. I, I used to host a show on WLFJ here in the upstate of South Carolina till they fired me. I'm just kidding. The entire... <laughs> till, uh, they, till they canceled you. <laughs> they uh, t- totally just changed formats on the radio station. Um, and it used to be that if you had a radio show, that just came with credibility, mm. even though they gave one to me. Yeah. Um, I'm also getting to serve Beachwood Church as an elder. And uh, generally, uh, I'm a theological thinker and new, baby, basically a baby in not being mm-hmm. a dispensationalist or a pre-millennial type guy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but just kind of figuring out what do I think about the trajectory of humanity theologically? Right, right. So I am the president of Westminster Effects. So church history themed guitar effects. Yes. Go to westminstereffects.com. I am also uh, a deacon here at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina, uh, where we're recording. Yes. Uh, and then also a thinker, uh, less new to the post-millennial game than you. Yeah. Uh, I think I finally, well, it's more so my wife called me out on it. Uh, what was that, 2019 or so? Which was a great time to become post-millennial, know, right? just in time for COVID. COVID, yeah. Uh, but you know, I was you know listening to certain you know all these resources, trying to figure out where I landed and stuff like that. And I said, you know, I've, I'm not post-millennial, but she said you're post-millennial. Just admit it. So <laughs> does, does she come from a theological background of some sort? Uh, well, I mean, her, our in-laws, my in-laws, her parents are dispensational. Okay. Uh, she grew up in general evangelicalism. Okay. Um, but I mean, at this point, we're reformed and post mill. I just know that the amount of Christians in the South in particular, is she from the South? No. Okay. She but, is, she is from upstate New York. That helps. Okay. Mostly grew up uh, in the Eastern Pennsylvania area. That, that, that's going to help a ton yep. because the, our waters, uh, are very dispensational. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think I could even give you a definition of amillennial or postmillennial until probably 2012 or 13 mm, when David Platt did a secret church. He hit, he hit a secret church. It's six or seven hours of sermons all in one night. Mm-hmm. And he did basically an overview of end times theology. And I learned that night, at 2012, I'd have been like 26 years old. Interesting. I learned, oh, there's another view. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, like the... It, and that's so interesting, too, because I grew up Church of Christ, as longtime listeners would know, uh, which largely ignored end times things and eschatology. It was, you know, Revelation's about AD 70. Don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Okay, whatever. So I guess kind of a, almost like a lackadaisical amillennialism, maybe. Bro. Uh, but but yeah. I went to Southside Christian School, which was Southern Baptist adjacent. Yes, which meant that I was still swimming in the waters of the Left Behind series. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know preterism was a thing mm-hmm. until my adult life. So I'm talking missionary kid. Yeah. Came through Christian schools, Christian homeschool, evangelical high school, Southern Baptist college. I didn't find out that there were humans yeah. who thought revelate 
events in Revelation and events in Matthew 23, all that discourse? 24, 24? Uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21. That those Any of those events were in the past. Right. I only found that out like 12 or 13 years ago. Interesting. So I, I didn't grow up with this even being a possibility. So I am quite new yeah. to thinking about yeah. these things. Yeah, whereas uh, I guess it was 17 or 18. I was like, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out where we're going. I and and I started with the premise of I I can't justify dispensationalism. Period. Me either. With with you know there is no exegetical case to be made for a rapture of the church so that God can deal with geopolitical Israel again. What do you do with all of the the people who are part Jewish, like my wife? Like my wife has Jewish blood. Yeah. So does God deal with her? She's a Christian. So does that mean she gets like, how are we doing? So this? I will say this uh, of dispensationalism. I didn't even know that's what I was being taught, but I, I shut up about it because I was a good kid. But at 16, 17, 18, I did start going. I don't, I don't know if this works. Yeah. There's some inconsistency here. Right. And I guess I just, I'm pretty good at compartmentalization and just went, it's in times. I'll, I'll just forget about it. Yeah. And uh, which is so common. Yeah, that is incredibly I common, and I and I gotta blame specifically dispensationalists, but a lot of futurism in general with the Book of Revelation of well, we gotta guess all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, but we can't solve it. Um, so for you, those of you who grew up like in Presbyterian circles, I guess apparently Church of Christ circles, you spoiled brats, you. <laughs> you grew up knowing well, some of this stuff. Well, I didn't. It was just kind of thrown. Oh yeah, was, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we're in thought experimentation where you ask, so if the church does its thing and we make lots of Christian people, what will a, what will a people group that is vast majority truly believing, what will shape them? How will they look? Mm-hmm. How will they mm-hmm. think about finance and law and, and entertainment and education? Yes. So that leads to what I've since on my end, when this goes in the Westminster Effects Doxology podcast feed, I've been naming all of these Monty Python references. Yes, I love that. So this one is wait until nightfall and then leap out of the rabbit, taking the French by surprise. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> taking the French by surprise. Yes. Uh, so first topic, foreign policy and warfare. Mm. Let's just dive into some... I mean, immediately sticky waters because I, I like water, sticky subjects, sticky Hot subjects. waters. I don't know. R- rough waters, choppy. Yes. There we go. I immediately run here. Uh, table of nations. I want to go ahead and establish an early in Genesis in the, uh, in the, what do we call the five bo- first five books? Pentateuch. Yes. In the Pentateuch, the, the Lord ordains that there would be countries, mm-hmm. that they would be borders, that it'd be distinct peoples. Yes. And, so we, we at least know this. One of the foreign policy goals would not be to to be would be towards one worldism. Right. It would not be towards integration. But there would be interaction amongst mm-hmm. the nations. Mm-hmm. How do we interact? What principles do we use? Interesting. Yeah, and one of the <laughs> So I just read or listened to the audio version of The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. Yeah. Which there's some really good stuff in there. There's also some stuff where he just comes out of left field. Mm. And by out of left field, I mean he's a streaker who parachutes onto the field from the green monster <laughs> at Fenway Park and then and then grabs the rosin bag off of the pitcher's mound and throws it at somebody. Like, yeah. 
there's some weird stuff in there. There's also some really helpful stuff. Agreed. One of the really helpful things is, uh, what is it? Deuteronomy 32, where at the Tower of Babel, God divides the nations according to the sons of God. Yep. Now, whatever you do with that, basically he sets up heavenly beings as intermediary rulers among the peoples. Yep. And in Genesis 10, right before the Tower of Babel, you have the table of nations. So it's 70 nations. Well, how many disciples does Jesus send out to cast out demons and heal the sick and proclaim the gospel? 70. It's 70. So what's Jesus saying there? All of these are mine, and I'm taking it back. Yes. Right? So Jesus is king of kings, but that also still means that there is a plurality of kings, which means there's a plurality of nations. Yes. So we're not going for one worldism. It's this is all very biblical, right? Yes. Even even if all of these nations, as we would expect in the long run, the very long run, to acknowledge Jesus as king over them, like what Poland has done. Yep, they did that. So it was um it wasn't Nigeria. It was uh, an East Uganda? Uganda maybe. It was an East African country. Yeah. They did that. Yeah, something like that. Maybe South Sudan too. I don't know. There's a couple African countries who have right. called themselves Christian right. nations. Right. Maybe they're onto something there. Uh, mm. Yeah. They don't. Never mind. <laughs> I won't go there. When it comes to interaction between countries, how much application is there with just the commands that we have to interact with one another, being good neighbors? Yeah. I think there's something to be said about that of seeking the good for your neighbor obviously rulers have to take care of their own but when we engage in things like trade agreements or establishing borders it's not i'm screwing you over because this you know i need to get a bigger slice of the pie we need to remember who establishes the pie yes and he grows the pie (laughs) god god is not limited by resources Mm-hmm. He creates the resources. Ergo, yes, limited resources in economic theory. Like we're not Keynesian or anything like that. But it's we we respect borders. We respect customs. We respect other people groups and and how they do things. While still acknowledging King Jesus and not just saying I'm going to get mine. Dead gummit. Do you think exploring this requires? practical examples that we're familiar with probably because I, I immediately think of what's the biggest geopolitical situation in the world right now it's russia invades ukraine mm-hmm. and then the the rest of the western world nato and primarily the united states sending money weapons and resources to repel russian invasion mm-hmm. when you look at that story do you come to any biblical thought of what should or shouldn't be happening? I think, do we start with the fact that well, Russia shouldn't invade? Yeah. You, don't, you, you don't invade your neighbor. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a pretty good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, that situation is tremendously complex. So much, yeah. Uh, like when Putin says there's a lot of Nazis in their military, he wasn't wrong. At the same time, does he have the right to invade them? Because really, we know he invaded because he wanted to take Ukraine back into Russian influence. Yes, he has a vision to re to, to be he who recreates the USSR. Right, right, and like if you really boil it down, Putin's a communist at heart. Yes, he, he really is a Stalinist at heart. Maybe, maybe even a Leninist. I don't know. I haven't studied him that much, but 
Um, Do you have objection then if, if he is the aggressor and an unjust aggressor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. NATO and Western power saying, as a good neighbor to, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to my neighbor who has now been unjustly invaded, we want to help you however we can right. in right. repelling the... Right, and, and that's, that's an, it, it really is an interesting thought exercise to actually work through those steps, right? Because you also have the fact that Russia has been uh, an antagonist toward us for decades upon decades. Yes. And so if we can throw a few billion dollars of equipment and decimate their military... Which has largely happened. Which, yeah, even so much so that they had an attempted coup. Coup, yeah. Uh, just a few so days So dramatic ago. over the weekend. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think I think that pretty much accomplished our purposes, you know? Yeah, there was uh, actual interest. If, if it is a government interest, a biblical government interest, mm-hmm. for leaders to take care of their people, then I can see the argument where NATO countries, Germany, Britain... Spain, Spain, Italy, France say Russia has been antagonistic towards our peoples. Mm-hmm. They're hurting our peoples. Mm-hmm. The United States saying they've been antagonistic towards our people. In defense of our people, one of our enemies has done something risky, and by uh, by aiding those who they've invaded, we are going to help our people by repelling this invasion. Is yeah, there, is there an argument there? Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said there. Um, I. <laughs> What's interesting is like I'm I'm trying to think through. I have family. Uh, I have Slavic in-laws mm. on one side of my family, uh, both from Russia and Ukraine, and one in particular, born in Kiev, and he's like, "Dude, those Ukrainians are just all corrupt." Like he he well, like he, it, he outright will it's say, "It's a corrupt country." Yeah, he's like, "There's no good guys here." Correct, <laughs> but even bad guys deserve. Uh, due process, you could say, and national sovereignty. Yes, the yeah the Ukrainian the U- Ukrainian government has been as corrupt as all the other Eastern European governments. They all have been. Romania, oh, yeah. a very corrupt part of the world. Impressively that, so, <laughs> to, but that does not excuse Russia's aggression. Right, I think er, I could be wrong on this, and, and particularly because Russia has aligned itself with the Russian Orthodox Church. Yes. And so you're going to do this in the name of God, invade your neighbor, uh, hit uh, power plants, mm-hmm. nuclear power plants, uh, and all these other atrocities. Of course, there are atrocities in war. That's mm-hmm. I think that's a different thing than warfare in and of itself. There is a place for warfare, even amongst Christian countries, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, just war theory. You go back to Aqu- yeah. Aquinas, who wrote about that the most? I think it was Augustine. Augustine, who did yeah. just... You're right. Just just war theory. All right. So, I think we have some clarity on Russia. Let me... Now that makes me think about my beloved United States. <laughs> in my lifetime, let's go a little bit before my lifetime, uh, the Reagan administration. In 82, there's an invasion of Grenada, or Grenada, however you say that name, mm-hmm, in the country. Mm-hmm. I think we had a quick excursion into Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Try to expel the communists there. Yep. There would have been no no action in Iran there. That was just getting people had to escape. Then there was Desert Storm. So that is uh, Saddam has a Saddam Hussein in Iran and Iraq has attacked Kuwait. So yep. we go to Kuwait to expel them. Yep. And that was in the, the first Bush administration. Ninety one. Yeah. We did that ninety one. 
There's no more action except for missiles being fired into random places in the Middle East, but no military mm-hmm. boots on the ground until Afghanistan, where we say we're responding to an attack. And then Iraq. And that's the last... I mean, then we got kind of involved in Syria. Mm-hmm. So... Do you, do you see that the United States played the the Russia Russia role in any of those where we were the aggressor had an incursion into those borders? Man, that's hmm. y- yes and no. Uh, you know, you bring up Afghanistan. Well, how did that all happen? Right? How did the Taliban even get set up? Was from United States support when the Soviet Union had invaded and occupied Afghanistan. And, you know, Afghanistan has been talked about the ender of empires yes. and stuff like that. And, and it absolutely came true with the Soviet Union. They yep. just bled them dry. Kind of the same thing with us when we went back into Afghanistan, actually personally, um, because they had harbored bin Laden and all yeah. that good stuff. With, good stuff. All that stuff. <laughs> Collo- colloquialisms, yes. right? Uh, all the things surrounding 9-11 and the, and the sort. But... Uh, you know, if if we hadn't intervened, one, Bin Laden doesn't have the resources to do that thing, but did bring it into the Soviet Union. It's it's like uh, what Thomas Sowell always talks about: is there aren't solutions, there are trade offs. Trade offs, yeah. So do do we trade three thousand American lives thirty forty years down the road for maybe millions of Soviet lives? Or thousands of American lives by staving off a hot war during the middle of the Cold War. That's hard, man. It's so complicated. <laughs> like, and and I'm so sympathetic to Ron Paul and oh, yeah. being very anti-interventionist. Uh, but at the same time, like there there are actually things that you know we, we do live in a fallen world that has been redeemed, but that redemption is working itself out in time which means that we have to deal with evil people sometimes. Oh, so I'm a Christian president and I, I'm attacked. Someone else is an aggressor against me and my people. They've hurt my people. Mm-hmm. It is in my remit. It's in my purview to respond with aggression to those who have attacked my people. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I, I would say... And this is why I'm more so. I'm not. I'm not totally opposed to a female president, but there's something to be said for every man needs to be capable of violence. Agreed. Yeah. In protection of you know women and children. Yes. And those who can't defend themselves, which means men are more apt to commit violence. In defense of others. That's just obvious on its face. Yes. Uh, because men and women are different. Yes. See our, our Westminster Effects Doxology <laughs> podcast we just recorded. Yes. <laughs> about the SBC and Rick Warren and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, like, you need to defend your country. Otherwise, you don't have a country. Okay. So, let me give you another foreign policy outside of war. Unless, did you have other war thoughts when it comes to violence amongst nations? Hmm. Uh, how about things regarding uh, conscription or a draft? Oh, I would actually say mm. that a draft is unbiblical. When you look at uh, Israel taking the promised land, so they get most of the way there, 
And Joshua says, all right, if you're too scared, if you've just been married and you haven't actually been able to enjoy time with your wife, and I think there was one other exception, go home. Cool. <laughs> like, we're not going to hold that against you. We're not going to call you a draft dodger. Uh, just go home. Don't fight. Why can't we do that in the U.S.? Yeah. Which we do right now, but, you know, for, you know, the world wars and for Vietnam, there was a draft and there was forced military service. Yeah, I would, I get there into my Abraham Kuyper mode of three realms, Mm -hmm. government, church, family. Mm -hmm. And the thing I know the government does not have a realm of sovereignty over is my body. Right. It can't. It can't use me for its purposes. Right. So I can choose in an effort to protect my family, my church, and my country to yes. go do violence, but mm-hmm. it can't make me. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think a, 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 a draft would be an unbiblical thing for a post-millennial government to do. Yeah, and I think, I think there's something to be said if, if you can't get enough volunteers to fight a war... What does that say about your war? You probably shouldn't be fighting your war. You probably shouldn't be fighting your war, particularly if it's a Christianized country. Yeah. People thinking well about these things. Not you know, by Christianized, we don't mean you have a bunch of pacifists because they were uh what was the sect that was super pacifist in the seventeen hundreds? Oh, it's, it's, uh, me right it's not now. the Quakers. Yeah, that might be it. I think it is the Quakers. Yeah. Uh not a bunch of Quakers, uh, because we're we're thinking well about things. Yeah. Which means we don't become Quakers. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. Yeah, but they'll shot, never know. <laughs> yeah, shots fired and they'll never know because and they're not gonna return fire anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they are absolute pacifists. <laughs> so, so um yeah, so if if we're thinking well and your country cannot muster enough support to actually go fight, whether it's def- defensive or we're responding in defense offensively. Yes. Right, maybe you shouldn't fight the war. That, I don't I don't think that should be controversial. It is it is not no, nothing comes up in me that feels weird. Like no, nothing that makes me want to argue with that. Right. Fighting in defense on offense is sort of what you just said. And that's, I think, the argument that was for the Iraq War in 2003, mm-hmm. that they have not directly affected the United States, but Saddam is developing a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. He has chemical and biological weapons. He has he is a malign actor against the entire West, including the United States, a funder of terror groups that attack us. He's only going to keep doing it, and so because of that, as a preemptive move, mm-hmm. we're invading his country and we're going to kill him. I have less of an issue with that than I do with nation building. In the ter- we have to define terms. Yes, right. So nation building being we are reconstruct. Oh, we're reconstructing. <laughs> <laughs> we are building this government back up from the ground up. We've destroyed their government, and now we're going to institute a new one. The problem is Iraq is a majority Muslim country. Mm-hmm. Islam does not do well with representative forms of government nope. because representative forms of government are Christian in nature. Yes. They are derived from Exodus Yes, by necessity. Yeah. They're not going to do well with westernized systems at all. No. So maybe the the in that post millennial world, 
start having Christianized nations and a Christianized nation is threatened by a Muslim nation, your thought is you can go neutralize that threat. But once the threat has been neutralized, you're out. Right. You guys figure it out. The military is out, but then missionaries swarm them, which we should be doing anyway. Anyway, yeah. And, and which, as we just recorded, the SBC yeah. is doing. That's what we are very good uh, at that. My understanding was even uh, you have missionaries pretty much every year who uh, they're blacked out on the screen. Yeah, there was probably one quarter of hours you you could not know their identity because they were going to places that are not they're not allowed to go to. Stop it, Siri. AI trying to get involved here. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So no conscription. What other, I have a, I have a foreign policy question that has to do with trade, but before mm. we move to that, other things you have on conflict or war in foreign policy, I would not have women in combat roles, period. Let me ask a question about that. Do so. I am obviously on board on women on battleground front lines. Mm hmm two things one i'm mostly convinced that the next the next wars will largely be fought by unmanned drones and unmanned materials that are going to be piloted from basically video game setups on aircraft carriers and from a base in nevada mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i have no problem with a woman running one of that running running one of those i still would and i'll throw you a little curveball so in the law you have, you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's so weird. Yes. Okay. So, so what's wrong with that? Why would you not do that? Well, you have taken something that's meant to give and preserve and nourish life and used it to take life, right? So the mother's milk, right? It's meant to give life. The woman's body is meant to, as a life-giving, life-nourishing, life-sustaining entity. And what you're doing with it, even with a drone strike, is utilizing her body to commit violence against someone else. So, which, which, obviously, you have examples of uh, the woman killing the guy with the tent peg in, in the book of Judges. The Deborah story at yeah. the end there. Yeah. J- uh, JL, I think her name was? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, but that was obviously an extreme circumstance. That was not, hey, sign up for this. In all through the Old Testament, you only have men fighting, mm-hmm. period. So you just don't have a distinction between running a joystick in a computer and having a gun in your hand. Right. Okay. Right. I think that's where I, I need I need to mull that over. Yeah. I'm not sure that I am. I'm, I'm not saying I'm right about that. I just, I have a, there's an immediate distinction for me that I might not be right about. Right. Now, in terms of like, in like support roles, um, things like military nurses and doctors, surgeons, you got to take care of your wounded. Yes. Administrative roles. No problem with that. Just not actual, the instruments of violence. Right. So it immediately takes away my second question because then there, there are people who do, almost no risk whatsoever bombing runs. They, they fly planes into a spot, fire off a missile. That's going to travel another 200 miles from any kind of danger. And they turn around and come back. But you're saying the act of violence itself is a marring of the image of God on a woman. Yes. Because women don't do violence. Yeah. And, and I would, I would even go so far to say, um, that Jesus had to have been a man in order for God to rightly do those things to him. Otherwise, in terms of exhausting his wrath, 
and crucifixion and stuff because it's so much more shameful to do that to a woman to do that to a woman and and I think we know that in our guts. There's a there's a rea- yeah a reaction is even more repulsive when right. you see any kind of violence against a woman yeah because you, the the idea there is that man should defend himself yeah, like e- even movies you know if if you have uh, something like John Wick. <laughs> just gratuitous violence. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I know. I'm aware. Right. I've seen the first one. I, honestly, I wasn't impressed. That's going to be an unpopular view with some, but I just was not impressed. But, you know, he offs a couple of, of guys who are in the mob. Mm-hmm. Big deal. You know, and then he gets into a fight with a woman assassin, and that that didn't sit right with me. Yeah, it's it's almost like I, I, I'll admittedly find it, I'll start to laugh during action movies where they have set up Charlie Theron or what, or yeah. some, I can't remember what movie that was. These, these tiny, these tiny little women mm-hmm. beating up all these big dudes. Right. And it's just, we, we know instinctively, even when she's doing the violence, this is just laughable. Yeah. There's, there's no not, way. There's nothing that happens. Yeah. Especially in those movies, like the, she, they don't have superpowers. It's just, she's a woman who's good at fighting. Right. There's a, I haven't watched an episode of it, but, there's a movie, there's a show. No, no, no. It was a movie, a movie called the equalizer when we were kids. And it mm-hmm. was a guy who gets vengeance on bad people. There's apparently been rebooted on CBS as a TV show with queen Latifah. And so there was a dude doing horrific violence on the movie. And now she's apparently like the big, she's, she's tough and beating up big dudes. Like, okay. She's like a f- almost 60 year old woman. I don't, I don't think she's doing that. Right. It's a weird, it's, it's a, it's a casting decision of the moment, yeah. but we know there's something instinctively. Something's wrong there. Yeah. I have heard the term old man strength. It's, it's real. And it is a real thing. Absolutely. Uh, I have never heard the term old woman strength. Because you get weaker and weaker, brittle right. more and more and more brittle. Yeah. However, there is a feistiness to many old women. Yes. That is to be reckoned with mm-hmm. that, that men should absolutely respect. But that that respect also comes with the fact that there is such a thing as old man strength. <laughs> don't wanna, don't mess with a any any man built, uh, born before 1980. Like there's there's some old man strength coming. And some of those guys aren't even all that old yet, but they still yes. lived in a world where they had to use tools and not sit behind a computer all the time. That's true. That's true. Um, I think I've exhausted my thoughts at the moment on foreign policy and warfare. Then let me give you foreign policy and economics. Okay. Here's one that I've wrestled with so much over the years. Because I'm about as free trade as you could. This is my Reagan-esque nature. Yeah. I am free trade across all borders, taking down every tariff. I want to do away with trade barriers. I have actually been on the phone with Lindsey Graham's office protesting tariffs. And A, good for you. Yeah. Um, we're actually working through one of those right now with uh, the limit, the amount of money you need to spend from an overseas retailer to pay taxes because right, right now uh, some company called S-H-E-I-N Shein I think it is and most people in the South say Shine I think or Sheen yeah. but yeah. I think it is Shein it's a Chinese company and the old number was like 50 bucks if you were buying over $50 you have to pay taxes on it mm-hmm. they've raised that to something like $800 Congress did yep. and so now this Chinese company is eating the lunch of Target Walmart, all the apparel companies here as young girls buy things from China and it comes in. The my, uh, And so I, I, t- I tend to be in favor of those types of things. There's a question mm-hmm. now of lowering that number so that girls have to buy clothes from American manufacturers. That's right. a conversation they're having. All right, so here's my specific one. I go back to the principle that uh, a government is supposed to care first for its people. And then I think about NAFTA. Here's what NAFTA ultimately did 
it led to booming growth here. We can't, we cannot, we cannot diminish the amount of growth we had because we were spending so much less on apparel, so much less on stuff mm-hmm. that our incomes started to buy other things. Right. It started to mostly it went to technology that allowed the boom of the tech era. NAFTA mm-hmm. happening in the nineties, the tech era really taking off. Let's call that late nineties, early two thousands. Our extra money was going to computers and phones and sh- computer ships and all that. Mm-hmm. Secondary effect. I can think of someone in my church whose good job of the design of blue jeans just left her. She went to Mexico and she had to reboot her whole life. Mm. We are talking here. It was in the seven figures of jobs because of NAFTA that the, what we set up in free trade in manufacturing, the mill villages got hollowed out. Yep. They go to China and they go to Mexico, ultimately leading to um, a, a crack cocaine issue in the inner city and a methamphetamine issue in Appalachia and in small town USA. As people lost meaning in their lives, Hillbilly Elegy is largely about this, that book. Mm. Now, at the same time, so there was this... While at the same time, you had also growth overseas. That's what I was going to... That's where I was going. Even with, you know, let's say somebody makes $50 a week in whatever Southeast Asian country you want to name, that's actually a good living for them. Absolutely. And so we we should not freak out about that. We should actually celebrate the fact that they are making $50 a week. the, The direct consequence of NAFTA was likely 120 million Chinese people coming out of poverty. Wow. Because we sent all those jobs to China and sent them into the cities to work manufacturing yep. to make all of our stuff. People in China, probably 120 million, stopped starving. They started yep. putting things in their fridge instead of stopping eating for one day. And it was pretty good for Mexican Mexican economic growth as well. And so then I assessed that. My, my people got cheaper goods, spent money on technology. It led to technological boom. Chinese people got to eat more. Mexico mm-hmm. became more stable. But I also sent some of my people into tailspin. Right. What what should I have done? Is there is there is that just a trade-off thing? Or what's the is there a mm. biblical view of that at all? That is a fantastic question. And not one I have any answer to, by the way. Right. I come to you with only a question and no answer. And and I don't know that I have an answer either. And that's one for everyone else to chew chew on and uh, and maybe come back to it. Because that's a foreign policy decision. Yeah. It's a foreign policy decision of whether or not you're going to be free trade or if you're going to raise your barriers mm-hmm. and protect your people. But if you protect your people, you're going to get slower growth. Right. If you protect your people's jobs, you're not going to get the same amount of innovation. Mm-hmm. And we want innovation and we want we want right. new stuff. You, and you also have less stuff. Not just yes. less new stuff. You have less stuff in general. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing all the way through. But you do get less stuff. You will. Yeah, your your pie will grow more slowly. Yes. And the people who have slices may feel more secure, not just feel, would be more secure in their slices. Mm-hmm. But I'm, if my, my population is going to continue to grow, I, I, I need to build more wealth for more people to have more slices. Right. Which is free trade. Yep. I don't know, man. I'm going to keep thinking about it. But I think we... We underestimate how important NAFTA was as a as a foreign policy decision, mm-hmm. and I think it's affected our lives. I'm 37. You're 36 yeah. or 35. Yep. 36. It, it is one of the most important things that happened in our lifetimes yes. in terms of foreign policy. Yeah, and and it's actually enabled my business to be a thing. Uh, ah, okay. Electronics components, even for every single uh, American-made electronic device, 
all of those electronic components come from overseas. Overseas. Somewhere. Yes. Uh, whether it's China or Taiwan, uh, Thailand. I get a ton of components from Thailand. Um, and then my circuit boards come from China. And what else? What else? What else? What else? Well, it's what makes you competitive because you can get them at lower cost. Significantly if you lower were, cost. I saw one study. It was in a documentary on Netflix. I cannot remember the name of that documentary. It was back when it was iPhone 8. If iPhone 8 was all made here in all of its materials. Oh, it's obscene. It was like a $2,400 device. Yeah. It, it required going overseas to get cheaper things. Mm-hmm. The, that's the, the, the difference here then is people don't think economically all that clearly. So now if I only spend $1,000 on the phone, I now still have that $1,400. Yep. And that goes to buy a guitar pedal that would not have gotten bought. Right. Or that, that could buy almost 10 guitar pedals of mine. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes to go, go buy other things. It yep. opens up other dollars. And I don't know. I just, uh, I want there to be really clear biblical thinking on everything. And I will get there. I just don't have an answer on that one yet. Yeah. And, 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 you know, on top of that, the fact that I can get those electronic components cheaply means that I can set my prices lower, right? So yes. I'm at roughly 150 for a standard effect pedal as opposed to something like 250, 300. Yeah. I've seen some singular like, you know, quote unquote premium, even though all the tolerances are still the same <laughs> uh, because people, God, if there's one market that is prone to hubris, it is the Pebbles. music industry music. Yeah. Um, but you know, four or $500 for a singular effect pedal. Whereas I, I promise you, I could have done the same thing for much less. And we, we then and sometimes I do, we, <laughs> we discount, I think too much. The fact that you do buy them from Thailand, there are people living better lives in Thailand that they yeah. ever imagined ever living yes. because of a tax policy we have here. And that's for a Christian. For me, I love that. I want impoverished people to stop being impoverished, yes. but then I'm, I'm asking myself, well, if I am supposed to be a leader in this government, am I supposed to care about the person in Thailand at all? Right. Or am I supposed to only care about my economic interests right. of my people? I mean, ultimately, and this isn't really a governmental thing, but what the free market, call it capitalism, whatever you want to call it, uh, is the most Christian economic system. Absolutely. Because it is, you, you become... I don't want to say rich, but you can pay your bills and the way you pay your bills is by meeting needs. Exactly the case. It, it turns greed. This is actually what Ayn Rand and Gordon Gecko mm-hmm. meant mm-hmm. in Wall Street. As, as much as we would absolutely repudiate most of what Ayn Rand said Amen. in terms of worldview, but yes. she was right on a lot of things. She was right when she says greed is good. Now, the sin of greed is not good, right. but what does it do? It causes me to fix people's problems because I want them to pay me. Yeah, because there's a difference between selfishness and self-interestedness. Amen. That's good. If, if I eat, that is out of self-interest. Yeah, that's good. Because I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to starve to death. Yeah. Ergo, I eat. Same thing with work, which work is not part of the curse. No, we were always going to work. Yeah. And God, cultivate. God, one of the first things that God told Adam to do is to work. So it's only the, the tedium that came in that was part of the curse. Yeah, I, I'm getting ready for a Hebrews series at Beachwood Church. and Sign me up. Man, uh, it's such a great, great epistle. And in chapter 2, he quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? And gets finally to that part of Psalm 8 where he says something like, uh, you have brought everything under subjection, everything under his feet. And at that point, he's talking about us, talking about humanity. You put everything under humanity's feet. 
to cultivate, to create, to manage. There was stuff mm-hmm. to do long before the curse. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good thing. It's just, yeah, the toil comes in. Let's see. Do you have any other things on foreign policy? Because I think on this lap, the other topic, I think, is a 10-minute or less version. Yeah, let's go for that one. I was just thinking about aging. Like going back to the Hebrew series and the, how does a Christian age well? Mm-hmm. Like as, as we think mm-hmm. through. And, and we are significantly grayer than we were in our North Greenville days. Yeah, dude, I got gray in this beard. I will say this. My wife loves it. She Every every new gray, gray hair, she's a fan of nice. me going gray. Yeah. Um, I, I have like two or three grays in my beard, but my it's the rest of my hair. The sides there. Yeah. You're getting some wisdom in you, brother. <laughs> I, the, the wisdom, the, the, something about the wisdom, the wisdom of a man is in his gray hair or something yeah, like that. There's yeah. a proverb that goes something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's what I, I, I look around at my very pagan country and it seems like we fight aging tooth and nail. Yes. There's a preacher in my Instagram feed right now a lot. He's paying for ads. I don't know what the, the what he's advertising, maybe just to go to his church or something. He's vi- visually, he's a man in his mid to late 60s. Mm-hmm. And he is in... Is he wearing like a blue jean jacket and yeah. skinny jeans? Yes. And, yep, nailed yep. it. And that's part of what I'm saying. Like you're, yep. you're, you're not that age. And even I'm changing how I, I dress. Mm-hmm. Like I actually did get rid of my one pair of jeans with holes in them. I got, I got, I got rid of him. I'm a 37 year old married man. It was, I decided I'm not judging you. If you, if you're in your forties and wear ripped up jeans, do that. Cool. I know for me, I decided, all right, I think that's my next step is Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop doing that uh, and start trying to dress uh, a certain level of, of my age. I, I, I don't waiting on the new balances, but you know, there's room for sanctification. I, I, I recently thought about getting a grill. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to get a grill, charcoal some charcoal or go home, man. Some, absolutely, charcoal. And then uh, khaki shorts, white New Balance shoes. I'll, <laughs> I will dad this thing up. Yes. And I'm not even a dad. Um, and then I, it's, a very, it's a very lucrative part of the economy to uh, have procedures to, 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 mm, to look younger, yeah. st- stay young. And so I'm going to connect this now to some Bible. Um, in that Hebrew series as well, there is a portion that says uh, Jesus who defeat, I'm paraphrasing, defeated death through death so that we w- might not have a lifelong, is it a curse of death or a lifelong dreading of death? Mm. The idea here mm-hmm. being there, it is part of the human psyche to dread death, dread the process of dying, right. getting, or I would even put that as, as aging and now we don't have to fear it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's all I think I'm wanting to say is we, being we, we believing in the world that we we think is going to come is the panic over it and the talk of like i don't want to get old or mm-hmm. the and the franticness or how much money we spend on trying to f- fend off aging mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's thinking christianly right it's a, it's akin to uh parents when they dread certain stages of life for their kids and and obviously we're speaking as non-parents right, right now uh, but, oh, man, just wait until they turn two, wait until they turn three, wait until they're a teenager. Well, why can't you enjoy each of those stages yes. for what they are? Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with aging, of enjoying those stages for what they are. And now there's a difference between taking care of yourself, right, and maybe even particularly for women like skincare routines. Yeah, and, do that. And, and maintenance and those kind of things. Like you work out yeah. pretty regularly. Um, 
I ride bicycles for some reason. <laughs> Up <laughs> <hills. necessities. laughs> uh, But, you know, so we're trying to not just fall apart. Yes. <laughs> but the, the, we're not taking that second step because here's the other step for guys my age. Hey, Doc, can I get some testosterone? Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to start taking that. Right. Which, which could be a good thing. If you're testosterone deficient. Exactly. But if you are testosterone normal and you're just trying to get big, jacked up, and veiny, mm-hmm. that's... That's a different level of the word I'm actually not, I'm looking for. There's vanity. Gay? There's, oh. <laughs> bro. I don't think you're allowed to make those jokes anymore. We're like, you're going to get stoned by this culture. Yeah. But it's, it is a, there's a level of vanity to it where, the, and it often happens to men at around my age, I'm about to be, I'll be 40 in a couple years. You start looking at aging and go, no, I'm not doing that. I will not age. I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to 20 and I'm going to do it by pumping myself full of these hormones. Stop, mm-hmm. stop, stop. Just age. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Right. Move your body. Yeah. Keep your heart healthy. Keep your lungs healthy. Don't fight it tooth and nail. Yeah, but understanding there will come a time where when I play church league softball, my arm will degrade to the point where I won't be able to play shortstop anymore. Right. Can't make that throw to first base. Right, right. Or it'll it'll get there. It'll just take too long. <laughs> it'll dribble in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I think it's... There, I have a. I live in a place that just seems like it's obsessed with staying young. Like I said recently in a sermon, and maybe I shouldn't have said it. I said, "Guys, you know, I'm I'm getting towards forty, and I kind of felt it in the room. There was a bit of shifting in the seats, mm-hmm. and then some folks even brought it up. Like, why? I mean, why would you say that? You know, you were one of the younger ones of us you know, to say getting close to forty. Because I don't care. Right. Forty's fine. Right. It's, it's just, that's just where the Lord has me. Don't be afraid of it. Don't fight it. It literally just means that you were born in 1986. So yeah, that's just the, the time on the calendar says, yeah, in three years, I'll be 40. Mm-hmm. The, and even with like some of the hobbies, gentlemen, it's, it's okay to, to let go of some childish hobbies mm-hmm. and, and move on and move on to some other things. I'm not going to get specific because I don't want to offend anybody. Right. But some of the events you go to, I don't, I don't mind saying, um, <laughs> childishness was wanting to stay up all night. Remember that? It was a thing for us. Yeah, yeah. I want yeah. mom and dad. Can I stay up late? Can I sit and watch mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live till whatever it is to one in the morning? You know what the adult thing is? Get some sleep. <laughs> Get up and be productive. And and I and, feel that more than ever right now. Like the there's this. This, there's people my age and older I see on my, I'm talking guys in their 50s out clubbing till two in the morning. Oh my goodness. Gentlemen, go to bed. Go to bed. Get up and be, get get productive. Let go of youth and it's just okay. Yeah. It's okay to let go of it. <laughs> there was there was a time, I guess it was about a month ago and it was, one, it was raining so I was not going to go on a bike ride. Uh, we had nothing scheduled for this particular Saturday morning so I set my alarm for seven and then I stayed asleep and told the alarm to shut up and I slept until eight 30 and I was like, where did my entire morning go? from time to time? That's good. Right. From time to right. time. That's very good. And that's, that's the only time that I've slept until like eight 30 in the past two or three years. Yes. I don't, I don't know what that's like anymore because we're men and we got, you got stuff to do. And so I know this, it's, it's hard to connect to the post mill more than this. I, th- I think, I think this is more general Christian. Yes. Yeah. But as, 
as the gospel in the kingdom spread through the world, there we go. More people would hopefully start to think along these lines. Yeah, stop, stop thinking this very Western way where I can't, I can't get old. I'm terrified of getting old. I'm gonna do everything I can to stop it. As we think more Christianly, as the, as the faith goes forward, it's one of the things that we need to fix in our own thinking. It's okay. Yeah. I'm gonna get old. That's and, okay. And I think. We're, we're afraid of getting old because we're afraid of death. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of death because we don't know Jesus. Yeah. And if you know Jesus, you're not afraid of death anymore. I, I'm not going to belabor the point on that Hebrew sermon. It's week two. But I do want our people, and I want Christians in general, to sit in it for a second. You are going to die. I'm not trying to bring rain clouds here. But you're going to. Yep. That's part of what we do here. You can... Think about your own mortality and then think about your eternality in the new heavens, the new earth and live in, live in light of that. You are going to die. So let go of childish things, grow up into adult things and mm-hmm. go, go tackle what the Lord's given us. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. And, and we're not even getting specific on those things. Of yeah. You shouldn't have X, Y, Z hobby. I didn't do that. You shouldn't mm-hmm. enjoy X, Y, Z TV shows or web, well, there's certain websites you definitely should not. Amen. <laughs> you should not enjoy. Uh, but we're not getting specific. We're saying how, develop a a way of thinking that promotes maturity in Jesus. Yes. Awesome. Well done. There you go. Um, any other things you want to leave us with? Not yet. I don't even know what we'll do next time, but hopefully in, in a month or so, yeah. we'll so, come back and do so it again. So for the people who know my feed where they where can they find you you can find let's look for my odd name Corey truax anywhere you google it and if you google Corey truax podcast you're going to see it on spotify on apple and anywhere you find podcasts cool what about you uh westminstereffects.com is where you can buy my wares where, you should. I, where I pedal my pedals yeah, very nice there you go uh this isn't the SBC episode, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but com or just find me on Instagram, Cody Fields, whatever, um, because I do blog occasionally, not yes. as much as I would like, but uh, Westminster Effects uh, in your podcast catchers where you'll find this and other things. Cody Fields, it was a pleasure. Thank you for doing it, sir. As always.